Hello and welcome to Reading Between the Lines, the story podcast from the People's Friend in association with the Oddfellows. Each episode, a few of us from the Friend team delve into our archives to find a story to read and then sit down for a wee chat about it. So, make yourself a cuppa, pull up a chair and come join us. This episode, we're reading Just a Mother by Elizabeth Nolan, first published on the 7th of April, 1945. Reading the story is Friend Features Editor Alex. Over to Alex. This leave, things were not going at all right for John Harvard. Nothing had turned out as he had planned. He had thought that he and Sylvia would be able to go about together as they had always done. He had pictured himself taking Sylvia to dances, to the cinema, to see their friends. He had seen her with a bright ribbon on her dark hair, so to speak, her arms outstretched towards him. Whenever he had thought of the baby, and of course he had thought of him, he had thought of him lying quietly in his cot or his pram, safely parked with Sylvia's mother while the two were off on pleasure bent. And what had happened? Standing with his back to the fire, listening to Sylvia moving about overhead, John gave an angry snort. Already five days of his precious leave had fled, and as yet they had barely been out together at all. And why? Because the baby had a slight cold. When he'd arrived home, what had he found? That the baby ruled the house. He didn't stay in his pram or his cot, but overflowed into every room. Everywhere he went, he found traces of the child, evidence that he was the most important person in the house. Sylvia was always doing something or other for him, bathing him, feeding him, washing his clothes, wheeling him out, knitting for him, talking to him, talking about him, talking and thinking about him all the time. But what was the use? John flung himself into the armchair and stared moodily into the fire. Point was, how was he to spend the day? It was only nine o'clock. And already they'd been up hours because the baby had this bit of cold which Sylvia made so much fuss about. A fire had been lit upstairs in the bedroom, a screen made of the old big clothes source, and a pair of old curtains so that he wouldn't feel a draught. His chest had been rubbed, a hot bottle had been put in his cot, and all the time Sylvia, who used to be as gay as a hummingbird, became more and more worried, till he himself had decided that the doctor had better come. And he'd gone out then and there and rung him up. Dare he put the wireless on? Better not. All seems quiet overhead, and perhaps the little chap had gone to sleep. Oh, he was a nice enough little chap. He wouldn't be surprised if he didn't grow up into a grand little lad. But now, now, well, he wanted Sylvia to himself. He saw so little of her now. John picked up the morning paper, then dashed it down again as he heard Sylvia call his name. Now what was wrong? Upstairs, he found her bending over the cot. She raised a white, anxious face as he came into the room. She had tied up her hair into one of those gay handkerchief things and looked so young and sweet that he longed to take her into his arms. Over and over again on this leave, he'd wanted to suggest that they went away together and left the baby with her mother. And now he felt that Mrs Saunders would agree with him that Sylvia was making a fearful fuss about nothing. John, Sylvia said in an anxious whisper, just look. As if revealing something tremendously important, she pulled up the wee vest and bared the small chest. 
John bent closer and closer. Can't see anything at all, he muttered at last. Oh, John, not those pinpoint pink spots. No, I can't see anything at all. Well, Sylvia's voice was indignant. She pulled the vest down again and very carefully and tenderly picked up the baby. He seems perfectly right to me, said John, except for a bit of a snuffle. Then, with an attempt at lightness, what about some breakfast? Breakfast? We've already had toast and tea. Don't you realise that this might be measles or scarlet fever or, or anything? I asked you to go out for a thermometer. The chemists will be open by now. Sylvia had untied her hair and was now deftly and expertly pinning it up into place. She had lovely hair, and he loved to watch her seated by the dressing table, and in the old days when they were first married, she had liked to have him watching her. But now it didn't matter what he thought, or what he did. He had only two days leave left, and that fact didn't seem to worry her at all. That was at six o'clock, he cried, referring to the toast and tea. It's nine now, and I'm hungry. And he's all right. His skin's quite moist. You've had me feeling it at least six times. John, she swung around on the stool. John, if anyone had told me you'd be so horrid, just when I'm so worried, I'd never have believed it. Her lips began to tremble, but she pushed him off when he would have comforted her. Her voice went back to the whisper it had adopted these last few hours. Please go, John, and get one I can read. Hold it up, give it a shake. See if you can see the mercury. I want a smooth round one, not one with several sides. I don't know how much it'll be. And perhaps you'd better bring back some camphorated oil just in case it is only a cold. And I want some more cotton wool. Seeing that it was useless to argue, John went from the room, resisting the urge to tiptoe in protest, and put on his greatcoat. Here he was, Sergeant John Harvard, with a real tough job in the RAF, turned nursemaid to a three-month-old kid. On his way to the chemist's, he tried to think it all out, and so far as he could see, the facts were these. He was 25, Sylvia 22. They'd been married for two years and had been deliriously happy. Luckily, until just before the baby was born, he had been stationed near home. But now he was posted in the south of England, and so only saw his wife and child when he got leave. He had always loved Sylvia, ever since he first met her at Tim and Nina's, and she'd been sitting in one of those broad fender seats wearing a dark red dress with bits of green here and there, her pale little face all starry-eyed like a child's. They'd met and fallen in love and married, and even managed to get this little home of their own. They'd been pleased about the baby and decided to call him Roger, and referred to him as the imp even before he was born. He, at any rate, hadn't thought that a baby would make much difference. But of course he had made a difference. All the difference in the world. From the moment he was put into Sylvia's arms, her face had worn a different expression. An expression of awe and wonder and pride and... and... an all-absorbing love. Especially when Sylvia fed the baby and the rest of the world was blotted out. He couldn't describe the impression she made on him then, because he wasn't at all clever with words. But he had once read somewhere that when a mother was feeding her child, the feeling of bliss she had then was nature's way of compensating her for all the pain she had borne, and might still have to bear. Moodily, John turned into the chemists. Did all young fathers feel out of it like this, he wondered? Or was it that he was an exception, that he had no real parental feelings at all? 
chemist was an old man and also an old friend. He produced the right kind of thermometer without being asked, for he took it out of its case and held it up to the light. He smiled at John. The boy got a chill? Yes, so I believe. The wife, of course, thinks it's measles, or worse. John gave a pretense of a grin. Well, it's a grave responsibility being a mother, old Mr. McCulloch answered as he handed over the packages. The doctor had not arrived when John got back. The baby was asleep, the little house spick and span, Sylvia snatching a few minutes in which to do some washing. How much did she weigh? John speculated, for no reason at all. A lump in his throat as he watched those slender wrists twisting and ringing. No more than seven stone. And she was so young. She ought to be free, to be having a good time. She was made to be free and gay, not all worried and anxious like this. On his way back, he had stopped at the florists and bought a few roses. Sylvia loved flowers, and when they were engaged, he bought her a little bouquet every week. She had kept them up in her own room, except for one she might wear on her coat. With a sigh, he tossed his forage cap onto the table. He decided to make one last appeal. Sylvia, he said, putting his arm around her waist. Sylvia, darling, couldn't we go somewhere and celebrate tonight? After all, your mother had gladly come to look after Roger. And time, well, time is going by. He felt her relax, and for a minute or two she leaned against him and allowed herself to be petted and kissed. And she sighed and stiffened and pushed him away. With swift, determined movements, she shook out the small garments and spread them onto the cord which she had strung from one side of the fireplace to the other. She was wearing a smock of hyacinth blue, which just matched her eyes, and though her hair was a little ruffled now and her face flushed, nevertheless her moment of relaxation had passed. He felt shut off from her again, as if he had no power over her. Don't you like the roses? he asked, hurt and crestfallen. Aren't you going to put them into water? Roses? Oh, oh yes, uh, they're lovely, John, but far too expensive. We need the money now, you know, for other things. She inspected the things he had bought. She held the thermometer up, squinted along it, she slipped it into her overall pocket and picked up the bottle of camphorated oil and a bunch of nappies from the pile in the airing cupboard. At the door, she said, as if suddenly remembering him, John, why didn't you go see Tim and Nina? You haven't been there this leave and they'll be hurt if you go back without seeing them. There's nothing you can do. And you might put the rose in the glass vase you'll find on the top shelf. It's too hot for them here. Take them into the other room. As the door closed behind her, John heard a whimper and he muttered, Oh, hang it, hang it all. It was such a lovely day too. A day of real spring sunshine and spring breezes. The sky was blue, the landscape seemed to be lighted up. From the kitchen window, John could see the hillside and the little spread out village that was five miles away by road where Tim and Nina lived. This time, the day after tomorrow, he'd be off again, back to camp. 48 hours, only 48 hours. He might do a bit of gardening, but could he settle to it? The baby was crying in good earnest now. It was nearly 11 and the doctor hadn't been yet. He probably wouldn't come to the end of his round. Before he definitely decided to go to see Tim and Nina, he went upstairs, but Sylvia shooed him away almost before he had opened the door. From the landing, he heard her talking to the baby, the sort of conversation that he didn't understand at all, but which seemed to mean so much to her. Well, he might as well go. It would be something to do. 
Talk about being the odd man out. He smiled wryly as he let himself out of the front door. There'd been a time when Sylvia had hung onto his arm until they'd reached the gate, and more often than not had walked with him to the bus stop. But that, of course, had been long ago, when Sylvia had been his wife and sweetheart. Now she was just a mother. On his way across the fields, he fell to thinking it out all over again, and finally decided that he was the one to blame, since he had no real parental feelings. He'd read in books that when a man first saw his firstborn, a feeling of pride took possession of him. Well, to be candid, he hadn't felt anything at all. He'd just thought, well, what a funny little imp that is after all. It had been Sylvia he'd been thinking of all that never-ending night, and Sylvia that he'd wanted to see when at last it was all over. She'd looked very white and exhausted, and somehow different. She'd smiled and stroked his hair just once, and then the nurse said she was drowsy and that he'd better go away. Next time he'd been allowed into her room, the baby had been beside her, very, very pink and wizened and tiny, and she'd looked at the baby in a very special way, and he thought, he didn't know why. Mother and child. Pictures are always a mother and child. It's a special, a very special alliance. As he passed through the Bluebell Woods, he remembered incidents of their courtship, and told himself sadly that life would never be like that again. Courtship was always so brief a period. Loves were always so eager to get married, little knowing that soon after marriage would come an end of their enchantment. Well, why is Sergeant John Harvard looking so serious? Nina asked as she hurried down the path to meet him, having seen him coming across the fields from one of the upper rooms. He'd always liked Nina, and of course he and Tim had been friends for years, Tim and Nina were years older than he and Sylvia, but it didn't seem to matter. Tim and Nina had no less than five children. Or at least, he thought it was five. Didn't you know, Nina laughed as she gave the pram in the porch a gentle push. But of course you did. You'd forgotten being so busy thinking about your own. This is Gwendolyn May. We wanted another girl, because now we have even numbers. Three boys and three girls. In the sitting room, the eldest girl who was Lottie, and had pigtails and alert brown eyes, was feeding the youngest boy, who was Frank, and as golden as a buttercup. Each child he remembered now had an allotted task. Tim and Nina had always everything perfectly organised. Nina was always busy, Sylvia told him, but still had time to enjoy herself. The girls were allowed to wear their hair how they liked and were consulted as to how their dresses were to be made. The boys were brought up to be boys. When the summer holidays came, they all went off on their bicycles, the then baby in a sort of carrier. There was steak and kidney pie for dinner with lots of rich brown gravy. One little girl, Susan, acted as table maid and both little girls helped clear away. Before they went back to school, the boys had certain jobs to do in the garden or woodshed. It was anything but a quiet meal because the children were healthy and normal and Frank, who was seated in the high chair, had one or two tricks which made the other children roar with laughter, and which he himself knew were amusing, judging by the way he repeated them and looked round the table for approval. Tim did not come in till the pudding was served. He looked tired, but pretty much the same. He kissed Nina and had a word for each child, then took his place at the head of the table. Lottie, very important, waited on him without a word of advice from her mother. You two go into the other room, said Nina at last, as Tim brought out his cigarette case. 
It's Gwendolyn's turn now. Poor lamb, she must be hungry. Tim had a humdrum job at the waterworks across the valley, but he earned enough to keep his home going and seemed well content. So content that John began to feel a little envious. You're either cut out to be a father or you're not, John decided rather bitterly, after Tim, quite unruffled, had arbitrated in a dispute which had sprung up between the two elder boys, rescued Frank from the little pond in the garden, told Lottie the French for, I go for a walk, done a swift addition for Susan, who was very, very bad at arithmetic and quite proud of the fact, and taken the baby, who had fallen asleep, from Nina's arms and carried her up to their cot. Ten minutes, said Tim, sinking into his chair again, and then I must be off. Nina was in the kitchen, singing as she washed up. Apart from that, the house was quiet now. John wondered what Sylvia was doing. Had the doctor been? But of course, it wasn't anything serious. Just then, Tim said, and how's your nipper getting on? Pity Sylvia couldn't bring me along today. I suppose it's too far to push the pram. It's not that, John cleared his throat. <laughs> it's not that. Roger's got a bit of a cold. And I suppose Sylvia thinks it's nothing less than double pneumonia, or perhaps it's measles. You seem to know all about it. For some reason, John's heart felt a little lighter. Know all about it? I should think I do. I've had six, don't forget. We've no favourites here, but all the same. It is always the baby who is the most important. Did you, did, did you ever resent it? John tried to make his voice sound non-committal, but Tim gave him a sharp look before he answered. Of course I did. I remember thinking when she first was a baby that I didn't matter at all anymore. You see, John, he went on, getting to his feet and for a moment putting his hand on the younger man's shoulder. A young mother gets a dreadful feeling of responsibility over her first child and a great sense of fulfilment. That's nature's way, you know. The bonds between a mother and child is forged immediately a child is born. But you know when I really felt that I was necessary to Lottie? Not till one day when she was trying to build a brick castle that would fall down. You wait. When you see your nipper in difficulties, when you can pick him up and put him on his feet, then you'll feel the proudest father in the land. Women, you see, Tim went on as he and John walked down the garden path, are doing things for their children all along. That's what makes the difference between their feelings and ours. Nina kissed John goodbye. She had one of those plain faces, which are really beautiful because they are so kind. Give my love to Sylvia, she said. I know just how she feels about the baby, especially with you away. If anything should go wrong, it's a great responsibility. You know, Nina, said John, very earnest, speaking freely, unconsciously. When I came here today, I felt that I wasn't fitted to be a father. And a little hurt and jealous too. Oh yes, I can understand that, John. But you haven't lost your wife and sweetheart. What's happened is that you've become part of a family. Some part of her love that you have to share with your son and with your other children later on. John nodded, content and relieved. He and Tim talked of other matters for a minute or two, and they shook hands, and Tim went off on his bicycle. John couldn't get home quickly enough across the fields. How many hours had he left now? How many hours had he wasted because he hadn't understood? At home at last, he hurried indoors and found Sylvia half asleep in the big armchair. She smiled at him and rubbed her eyes. 
and she gave him a long, steady look and smiled again. She made room for him by her side and then slipped into his arms. He stroked her hair. The imp? he whispered. What was it, after all? Only a slight chill, she whispered back. Nothing much. He's asleep now. John caught sight of the roses in a vase. The bluebells are out. And we're not there to pick them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore that we can't do all the things we used to do. There are other things for us, just as beautiful. She snuggled closer. I'm glad you found that out. You see, I love you both so much, in different ways. And oh, John, how lonely I should be now without Roger when you go away. How long left now of this leave? But there would be other leaves. And the time was coming when there would be no more separations. He was glad that he saw everything in the right perspective before they really settled down to family life. If that's the imp, he said, I'll go up and see what he wants. Darling, Sylvia half laughed, half sobbed. You'd be no good at all at the BBC Red Cross contests. That wasn't our baby. It was a lamb across in the field. Reading Between the Lines is proud to be sponsored by Friendship Society, The Oddfellows. If you've ever wondered what being a member of The Oddfellows means, we're delighted to be able to share some first-hand answers. I'm Peggy from Ipswich, and um, I've been a member now for just over a year. Um, I wasn't very well and was sort of housebound, and a friend told me she was going to Zoom meetings, so I asked her what Zoom meetings these were. And she said, from the Odd Fellows. So that's what I did. I joined the Odd Fellows. And what it's done is it's given me company and it's made such a big difference. It's not nice when you're alone at home. So it's much nicer to have these friends on the screen and you know they'll always be there for you. My name is Sheila Robin and I live in Nottingham in Southwell. I joined the Odd Fellows when I came back from France and didn't have any friends in the UK anymore after having lived there for so long. With the Odd Fellows, I've had the occasion to go on all sorts of outings and had a brilliant time with lots of different people. Throughout September 2022, the Odd Fellows are celebrating Friendship Month. What better time to get involved and invite friendship into your life? With hundreds of events held across the country, like walks, picnics and online quizzes, the Odd Fellows will show you the benefits of a local friendship group and make you feel at ease. To find out more about Friendship Month, give them a call today on 0800 028 1810 or visit oddfellows.co.uk. Join the community today. Now, let's get back to the story. Let me top up my coffee, grab some of my friends and we'll have that little chat about it. That was Just a Mother, stunningly read by Alex, who is also joining us today. Hello, Alex. Hello. Also joining us this week is Abby from the Fiction Team. Hello, Abby. Hello. And David from the DC Thompson Archive. Hello, David. Hiya. I'm going to go immediately in and say that I love the title of this one. I think they knew exactly what they were doing with this title. (laughs) I think it would just immediately rankle readers. Um, Even when I first passed it to Abby, 
I hate your reaction to went, just a mother. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, I think you picked this one. Um, what about it jumped out at you? Was it the title or? It's just, it's just quite offensive. The whole <laughs> story. I was just, it was, I don't know. It was, uh, it, you just, I could not pick it once I'd read it. It was just, it was maybe, I think it's probably even unfair to say that it was of its time. I, I doubt that it was. I doubt that it was that bad at the time. The 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 difference between the gender roles in it. I mean, they were young, to be honest. Um, uh, what twenty two and twenty five? I think weren't they? The, the man, the husband was twenty five, and the wife was twenty two. <clears throat> so they were obviously kind of settling into. I mean, they only just got into their relationship really two years in or something, and then they then they'd had the kid. Um, but my words, what a he's not good. He's not good. <laughs> this is so <laughs> and he doesn't funny. Come across good. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting episode. <laughs> I feel like I have a very different take on this. Um, I might as well, you know. Yeah. What yeah. was what What was your immediate impression from looking at it and reading it through? Well, my impression is that I think this is all going to be based. My opinion is going to be based in the end on whether Elizabeth Nolan is Elizabeth Nolan or if this is a man writing under a woman's name. Because if it's a man writing under a woman's name, I have a very different opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's Elizabeth Nolan, then I think it's very a very tongue-in-cheek kind of take. Yeah. And there's kind of a bit of humour. Like, he's just so oblivious <laughs> that you just feel like this can't be a real person. <laughs> I think the author must be a woman. Mm. Reading it, I'm like, there's that is this is a... Because that's what I found quite interesting. Is that I felt it very much was a woman who has been a mother and has probably yeah. quite either see, experienced this mm -hmm. or seen this in her life many a time. Yeah. Um, and I, so I thought it was interesting that she just decided to write it from the man's point of view. So she's maybe being too... She's maybe exaggerating a wee bit yeah. and making him out a bit worse than he is. Or, no, what do you think? <laughs> I don't... I, I fully understand... Um, I mean, I've got a, a just over two-year-old and a three-month-old. I fully understand any sense of exhaustion or um, just complete mania with the madness of his life after having a child. But the way that he... It's the displacement that he feels that I don't I don't really relate to, and I find a bit weird. Um, maybe if maybe the with the woman the author was a woman and she'd seen it else um, you know, it happen in reality quite a lot. I guess maybe maybe it was it is a common thing. Maybe it was a common thing at the time. But the fact that he feels not that he feels I would sympathise if he was just going oh I'm really tired I'm I'm just on because he's on leave and he's not got very long uh, and he obviously wanted to spend a bit of time with his wife. They're, you know, they're quite young. He wants to spend time together. Um, totally understandable and totally understandable that he would come back and be like goodness me everything's about everything's about the kid I didn't realise how overwhelming this would be but that's not what he says what he, what he, what he comes across as is just clearly being like well, I'm not number one anymore. <laughs> well, you know, he's a child. He doesn't yeah. have to do anything. He doesn't have to do anything. He just he comes home and he's just not like he's like, oh, what am I supposed to do then? And he's just sitting there, and I just think, well, I don't know. Get involved, like, <laughs> if it, you know, it's it's hard work. Give her a hand. Do what you're told. Sort yourself out. <laughs> I, just, I just don't understand that displacement thing. And the, and the friend, the, sorry, I'm still, still no, going I feel quite strongly about this. <laughs> He's got the finger out tapping on the table. <laughs> the friend that he goes to has had six kids and is obviously a little bit more 
you know, worldly wise and, and more identifiable and more empathetic and stuff like that. But the friend also describes having been through the same thing when he first had kids as well, that he was just like, I, I, that it's just, it's so upsetting for a man that suddenly we're not the most important thing in the world. And that's just the, <laughs> that is just the sort of concept that John seems to live his life by and he's really struggling to come to terms with that. And maybe he, he sort of does at the end, but he's been such a so-and-so up to that point <laughs> I, I can't forgive him I'm gonna maybe it's a hot take I'm gonna defend John slightly <laughs> I have a bit of sympathy for John I know we're not meant is I think he's meant to be disliked and it's meant to be very eye-roll and it is but um I just think he's away from home so to him mentally he's still stuck pre-baby days <laughs> And I, it does point out how men are involved in the hospital room. They aren't visible to children. The nurse literally tells him to go away. And he does say, he thought, he didn't know why, mother and child, the pictures are always of mother and child. It's a special, a very special alliance. And it's that there's no visibility. Mm. So he doesn't know, there's no, you know, he doesn't know how to, to be a dad or be with kids and things like that. And I think it makes a link to that's why he doesn't feel very parental. And I think it is, or was quite a common problem. I think it is still quite a common problem. It does take, it can take men a bit longer. Um, and I, yeah, and, but I felt bad for him with that because it, it wasn't that he didn't want anything to do with it. He was feeling guilty that he um, didn't have these feelings almost, I think. And I, I, I do think it's quite... I picked up on sort of themes of sort of parenthood and mental health that we're still kind of unpicking and addressing today is is how I looked at it. I didn't get that from him. Um, I, <laughs> when I read it, when I read it, I thought I tried to give him a bit of the benefit of the doubt because oh, he's back on leave. He's been an absent parent. He's been at war. You know, this is 1945. This is being this story is being told. Um, and so he's missed out on those early days and everything. Though it does sound like he was around for the birth. Um, but then I completely lost it when he, he kind of just thinks about, oh, he didn't think the baby was going to change anything. He thought, it's like, oh, we could just park it with grandma. Yeah. Um, I mean, he actually uses the word park. Yeah, it and it's just like, um, it's just like, oh, yeah, and then we can go off and just, it'll just be how it used to be. It's just that there's a child as well. And it's just like, at that point, it's like, nah, nah, you're just a caricature. And I found him, as a result, just a bit, 2D and then mm. this Damascus moment at the end. Um, mm. So I just I tried to have sympathy for him and I tried to think about his situation, but then I just like nah, nah. Okay, it is a caricature, and I think it is. This is why I still think it's written by a woman because I think she's kind of exaggerating mm. that kind of problem to really, really highlight it. Yeah, I, I totally, I honestly totally see where you're coming from, Jackie, and like. Yes. But I, see, but, but. But, yeah. but I see both ways but then if you think about the story from the point of view of the wife she's basically been left with this child I know that's not his fault obviously because he's away but she's been left with the child she's kind of she must have this kind of routine going throughout the story she's kind of doing everything she's mm -hmm. all she's constantly whenever she's in the scene she's always doing something like putting the washing out or you know doing all these different things and there's even one point in the story where like he buys her roses and you think, oh, that's quite a nice touch. But then she's like, well, we need to spend this money on other stuff. Can you put them in a vase? <laughs> <laughs> and then he just kind of goes, oh, well, and then just kind of like leaves the house and doesn't put them in, in a vase. And then when he comes back, she's put them in a vase. So yeah. she's also done that. So she's like, it's like he's just kind of adding jobs <laughs> for her yeah. to do. <laughs> He definitely is still a bit of 
a child himself. Because there's an earlier bit as well where it seems like off the story, she's asking to go get a thermometer. Mm-hmm. She's like, I yeah. asked you to go get a thermometer yeah. and he'd not done it. He'd just been sat exactly. downstairs whinging. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's kind of sitting there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like yeah. sitting there with... I was like, like well, I'm hungry. It's like, yeah. cook yourself <laughs> something. And it's like, it's... Um, what they had like teen toast at like six and now it's nine and I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, go and get yourself This, this is what I mean. I think it's, it's meant to rankle. It's, I yeah, think it's obviously think so. written by a woman to meant to kind of annoy you a wee bit. Mm. But then I do think if you kind of scrape past that, it shows a very real issue of mm. the, the kind of yeah. scary, scariness of having a child. And the fact that men don't necessarily get to talk about that as much and don't get as prepared as much. And you say like, oh, you just expected it to go on as normal because you probably wouldn't have been told any different ever. And yeah. Yeah. No, I think, <laughs> I, to be honest, that hadn't occurred to me. And I think now you say it, I think as a sort of, almost as a sort of cautionary tale or as a, mm-hmm. or as a, as a way of saying, here's, here's something quite like taboo you might be feeling Mm-hmm. let's talk about it it's okay to talk about it maybe that's a maybe that is maybe it's, maybe it's kind of a cathartic thing that she's hoping she'll put this out there and some guys will 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 read it and think oh do you know what i'm not at least i'm not alone in feeling a bit sort of confounded by the whole thing uh, yeah i never thought about it like that to be honest that didn't occur to me so there is that ah. there is that sort of yeah has but also of, help your wife do some washing but do you and yeah, <laughs> yeah. make yourself some breakfast i do just, sorry go on i was gonna say um just to pick up on the mental health thread like I did realize that it's like when he leaves the house and he talks to other people and it's that like community thing and it's talking to someone else that makes him realize like, mm. oh, this is, this is why I've been feeling this way. Yeah. It's not just that he goes away and kind of reflects on things in his own head because when he does that, he doesn't... <laughs> he just gets yeah. more <laughs> yeah. I, I did particularly enjoy that moment of having two men, two fathers, having mm. a very vulnerable moment together sharing their worries and emotions which even now is something that society can have a problem with maybe isn't as common common as it should be um so to have that then i think it is it probably would have been quite a powerful thing of like you can go talk to your father friends and share these concerns kind of thing mm-hmm. and tim's my impression is that tim is involved you know he gets stuck in he's yeah. a he's a hands-on they've got it they've got it ran like a you know <laughs> Yeah, a well-oiled machine. The kids all have their own little jobs and stuff. Yeah. So I think it's meant to obviously be a sort of parallel, or like, or maybe like this is where you you this is what you could have had. Kind of thing. Yeah. It's so always that, a bit like the perfect dad. It's a bit yeah. scary in some ways. Like every child, he's got words for all the children and everything. I mean, what you were saying about um, this as a cautionary tale for men. I mean, at this point, the friend is you know a women's paper. You know, very, okay. very much so. Um, and, you know, I think it even carries that on the front page, um, you know, the story paper for women. But this is wartime and copies were going out to the troops. And okay. so the men would have been reading this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, okay. I mean, I, I think I'm reading far too much into this to say that it's been done <laughs> as a cautionary tale. I think it was just a, it was a something that people would, you know, certainly the female readers would probably mm. be able to empathise with and they might leave it around for the husband to read. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, it would have gone out to troops and who were kind of getting copies of magazines and publications just because they just needed stuff to read mm-hmm. out of the front. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it's the 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 mums can have a bit of a giggle like yeah. oh John, ah John's like that, ha. Yeah. and then but also the men can read it, and it actually has something quite deep underneath it, and then maybe learn something without being lectured to or being told to. 
But yeah, shout out to Sylvia. Um, (laughs) I think think it does a really good job of showing, not telling how much Mm. she does. Like, like you said, there's not a spare minute where she's not doing something in the background. And I also really enjoyed that moment where she lets herself just Mm -hmm. be hugged by him for a minute and maybe remember what it used to be like and then go, okay, but I have to be the adult now and I'm stealing myself and I'm pushing you away and, and yeah, go get my thermometer, please. (laughs) (laughs) Because he does genuinely love her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he does it's, come it's, it's in the end. Um, but it's that bit. I think the bit that got me was the bit where they're talking about um, the birth, and he's there, and all he cares yeah. about is her. And then this yeah. baby appears. It's like, oh, you know. But I'm I'm more worried about my wife, not about this new child that I have. Oh, it's just a child. I have no feelings for it whatsoever. It's mm. yeah. I think it's telling that um, he doesn't actually say the baby's name until uh, I think I counted eleven times he calls it just the baby or the, imp. L- the little chap or like the imp. at the beginning of the <laughs> well that's like after so oh i see yeah so it's like it's about 11 or 12 times that he refers to him as, as just the baby and <laughs> um, without actually giving him a name so yeah. you don't actually find out his name until like a bit of the way through the story you get so. it from the pharmacist isn't it i think <laughs> is it yeah it's the guy when he goes to buy the thermometer oh, wow. and they're having a chat and he's giving him a bit of sage advice like oh, you know they're, they're just a bit yeah Children are a bit sickly. I very relate to Sylvia's... Well, I can't relate to it because I don't have a child, but I understand Sylvia's anxiety. I feel like I would mm-hmm. be exactly the same, like any little spot, and you're like, what's this? Um, so I feel like that would be very relatable for all the readers as well. Speaking of, like, mental health, though, it doesn't really say much about what Sylvia... Like, I mean, Sylvia's still doing everything on her own. I'm guessing that she's kind of in the house all the time she's not got her husband there because he's away on leave and it's not really saying much about what like how she can mm-hmm. find that kind of peace or support support she's, she's yeah. got tim and nina down the road but she's yeah. too busy to and her mom see them. as well i think yeah but it doesn't really ever say that i just have a note that's like his friends have six children oh <laughs> 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 I, was like, I could not but then obviously that would have been quite And also you would think that because his friend has six children that he might have seen the way that that family functioned and realised that, oh, my life is going to change after (laughs) we've Because surely he's seen it happen before. He maybe shouldn't have been so oblivious. Yeah. I think it's a combination of, yeah, okay, he should know better and he should be um, more helpful. But I do do have a tad bit of sympathy. I don't, it's quite interesting, obviously, um, listeners to the podcast won't see it, but on the page, there's actually a wee poem um, at the start mm. of the story, which is about leave and about soldiers being on leave. Um, and it does kind of go into the importance of those few days off that they get um, and how, because I can imagine, I can relate to that. I remember listening to a, pod, a parenting podcast recently. And there was one. There was a story about a dad who had about an hour off from his kids. They'd gone to nursery for a bit or something. This was during lockdown, and he was so he had this hour, but he was so paralysed with indecision about what to do with that hour. He was like, "I've got an hour," um, mm-hmm. and he and he literally said he spent forty minutes paralysed by how to make the best out of that mm. hour. Um, and the poem on the, the page gives a nice sort of set of, a kind of context to how soldiers must feel when they come back home and they've only got three, four, five, six days, whatever it was they were given and how they feel like they need to make the most of it. And they probably come back with a pile of expectations as to how that time is going to go. So I can, I can sympathize from that point of view that 
all right, he probably doesn't get how kids work or how he's going to be involved in it. But he's also come back probably with this thought that it'd be so great to see my wife again. You know, he's still he's still very young. Um, he's, he's really conscious of the time he's got before he goes back. Um, I, I thought that was just quite an interesting bit of context of what it must be like in a soldier's head. It's like, mm. you know, I've only got so much time here and, and, and I don't really mean to... Maybe he doesn't mean to be so... Uh, blithe about the fact that he has a child but he just really wants to make the most of some time with Sylvia I'm not sure yeah, yeah I definitely got that that there must be so much pressure on when you come home from leave to do all the things and then and it's it's kind of readjusting your view that actually we'll just spending time with the people no matter what you're doing mm-hmm. is is the most important thing getting to know your new son yeah. <laughs> probably should be a priority yeah and I think that shift like obviously it does shift to that at the end and I think he realizes and you sort of hope that and the next time that he comes home he'll Dilla- he's learned his <laughs> lesson yeah. I think yeah it, at the start of the story it just feels like he's been sitting downstairs for the whole week yeah. like just twiddling <laughs> his thumbs kind of waiting did anyone have any particular thoughts on the the last line that he I <laughs> I, I guess it was supposed to be funny, but I didn't find it very funny. Where he thought the baby crying was a lamb. Oh, no, yeah. a lamb was the baby crying. <laughs> and it, again, it's poking fun at being like, oh, aren't men useless? Yeah. Which I think the reason I have sympathy and I, I guess feel quite strongly about this is because I hate that. Like, I hate the whole dad's babysitting or like men mm. are so useless and, and stuff like that. So I quite like the conversation around it. Uh, I highlighted a line that, um, made me think okay this has to be a woman writing a man because I feel like a man wouldn't write this about his own job where's it gone <laughs> oh there we go here he was sergeant john harvard with a real tough job in the area <laughs> uh, turned nursemaid to a three months old kid like it just feels like that's such a over-the-top kind of way yeah. to describe like I don't think you would need to put tough <laughs> it just feels <laughs> it's a real tough job <laughs> it feels like it feels like a woman kind of I don't know, doing an impression of what she thinks that her husband is thinking kind I th- of thing. Yeah. I think it must be a woman. The way she, you know, describes the anxieties of, of being a mother and stuff like that, I just feel like... But do, well, do we know anything about mm. the author? Is it confirmed? I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no pressure, well. eh? Well, Elizabeth Nolan is actually the great-great-grandmother of the Nolan sisters. I completely made that up. No, I completely made that up. Because as for as ever with people's friend um, authors, I can find very little about them. The only thing I do know about Elizabeth is this is only the second story that she's had published in the People's Friend, um, which I found out completely by accident when I went to look at the original volume to look at this um, story in its context in in the volume. And I opened up it in the February, just as I was opening it up, and it said, "Oh, new writer Elizabeth Nolan, oh. first story." And so she she published in February. I think it is a female writer. I'm mm-hmm. I, I didn't get any sense that it's a, a male masquerading. Um, I think, to be honest, even at this time, if it was a man, they'd have just given the man's name. But no, unfortunately, I couldn't find out anything about her. Um, she certainly seemed to be writing short stories. wasn't in any of our serial indexes. So um, wasn't coming back with the stories after stories. So um, yeah, so only her second story, but not a bad one, I thought. But I have to go back and dig out the first one and see how it compares. Yeah. Um, what did we think of the illustration? I think it's a it's a very recognisable image of a of a mother looking really worried. I feel like yeah, a lot of women would have seen themselves in it, and the man sort of suited and booted, watching over the wee baby. Um, yeah, I imagine it would have spoke to a lot of readers 
She does yeah. look quite worried. She's got worry and lines. I mean, yeah, it, it, it definitely gives an impression of the two different characters because she's clearly, like, worried and rushed off her feet and he's only got eyes for her. He's not even, like, he's not looking at the That's baby at all. That's very true. He's yeah. just gazing intensely at the side of her face. <laughs> she looks really stressed and he looks like, come on, love, the film yeah. starts in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> look, I had to come look at the flowers I got you. Yeah. <laughs> That's very I need true. some toast. <laughs> I do think this makes a good addition to the to the mix of stories we have, though, since it's not about a romance of two people getting together. It's like a sneak peek mm. behind the curtain of after they've got together. Um, so it's not it's not the like, and then I made her my wife. <laughs> They're already man and wife. And then I came back and there was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, and then I made her wife, and then we had a baby. <laughs> and I'd been away for ten months. Oh, <laughs> Abby, as our resident mm-hmm. fiction rep, would this appear in the friend today and what would we change? Um, <laughs> I don't think this would appear in the friend today. <laughs> um, it's just too stereotypical, too one-dimensional. It's yeah. very, a very old-fashioned way of thinking, kind of having the, like, the very gendered, like, this is yeah. your job and this is my job. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... I don't think we would put it in the magazine. I could, I, I almost <laughs> thought I could see it as like, if you changed it so there was like a grandmother character's perspective mm. of her daughter and her husband struggling with a newborn in general. I feel like that could be a story that we would do, maybe. Maybe. I don't know, I've not been maybe. here long enough. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but I just, I, I really, I really like this thread of, when you're having a newborn and not feeling what you think you should be mm, feeling and yeah. all the mental health around that I find very interesting which is what I liked about this story but obviously yeah. I did not like um the chauvinism <laughs> yeah I, mean, I, I think that like thread that you picked up on could definitely be brought into a story mm-hmm. that's told now and like that is still very relatable nowadays yeah, I think so it's I think very relevant so yeah, I think a story like like this, but maybe just updated for a modern audience. <laughs> I think that might yeah, it'd be really interesting to see if the author came to this period and then wrote something that tried to do the same thing, but in modern mm. situ- what, what the kind of equivalent story would be if she wrote it now about um, young couples having had their first baby and stuff. It'd be interesting to see what she had to say. Whether it was just about I don't know, just about the sort of upturn of their lives or something, but it would probably yeah, I think if she had a crack at it in this era, it would probably be closer to being something that would be publishable, and it, for the time, I guess. Yeah. I guess it was. Yeah. I guess it was. I guess it made sense. It must have resonated with people. Otherwise, they wouldn't have published it. I guess. Like you said at the beginning, I think the title really just draws you in. Yeah, I think the reader would have been like just a mother. <laughs> exactly. It was meant to kind of be like, well, yeah. what is this going to be about? And I, d- I think it subverts it slightly. I don't think it's it's yeah. saying that yeah. he's right mm-hmm. and or anything. I think it very much he's not meant to be the likable character in this. Mm-hmm. As we have established. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can go into our five-star ratings. I actually, oh, this is going to be a tough one to do. Um, Abby, I'll start with you. Um, let me think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alex, I'll start with you. 
Um, I'm going to do something a bit weird and I'm just going to give this a four. I actually, I think it gives you so much material to talk about and to think about. And first, you know, I think that's really a story's job, to be honest, that mm-hmm. it just kind of fires your imagination. You're, you don't, I don't like the guy or particularly sympathize with how he was feeling, but I can acknowledge maybe there was a time it's not a, it's not a million miles it's not unimaginable but it certainly makes you think it certainly makes you talk um it's started off a great conversation amongst us i think it's done what a story should do even if you don't necessarily like one of the main players or you think he's a bit misguided or something but it's i mean you can't you can't not read it once you start reading i mean the yeah. title like you say the title alone pulls you in but once you start reading it you think i've got to know i have got to know how this turns out and in that sense it's more powerful than 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 a lot of stories really so yeah solid I think solid four for me that's for probably really interesting considering how angry you came into it you were slamming the table that's exactly it provokes <laughs> it pokes me and it prompts a reaction and I couldn't start like I couldn't get three lines in and not finish that story yeah I would give low stars to something where I got paragraph in and I was like oh, this is just so tedious or something but it doesn't I need to know that he does something redeeming at some point during the story or just, just or does I, it get worse or does it get worse but you need to know and that's it's gripped me I need to read it so that's that's a good that makes a good that's story a very good summary what about you David I'm going with four as well um it's not a great piece of literature it's not subtle mm-hmm. it's very very clear what the characters are up to or who you're supposed to like and who you're not supposed to have sympathy with and all the rest of it and then you know I could, you know, I think I knew when I started reading it that he's going to end up liking, you know, seeing the error of his ways. <laughs> he's not just but... going to renounce his baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's like, oh, I'm off, I'm off. Um, no, so it's, it's yeah, because it's a simple story told quite bluntly without mm-hmm. too much subtlety. And I think it got its message across um, to some people who maybe can't take subtlety very well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> um, I I guess I wasn't sure. I was actually going, I was like, oh, maybe it's a three. But then even though I was the one advocating for it, and then Alex's reaction has made me go, okay, yeah, no. Um, so I will also go with a four. And yes, you're right. This one did make me feel this one of the strongest out of all the stories I've read in terms of like, it might not have been what they intended, but what I picked up on it meant a lot to me. So... Yes, I will go with four stars. Also, Abby, have you decided? I feel like I'm going to be the horrible judge. Yeah, <laughs> you're Simon Cowell. Yeah, I was. I was going to give it a two point five, but then after li- listening to all of your arguments, I put it up to a three. Okay. Um, just because I think it was what you said, Alex, about um, it prompted a conversation that got me thinking. Maybe it prompted a conversation in the home as well mm-hmm. at the time. It's not the best story I've ever read but (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it was a really I really did actually kind of enjoy reading it and discussing it as well it was really fun so yeah yeah and shout out to Sylvia yeah (laughs) Sylvia is the is the (laughs) Sylvia Sylvia is the um Star of the story, I think. <laughs> and for Tim for being a listener. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah that moment with um, Tim. Tim is a great friend and he's got six kids, you know. And well, she's got six, he, she had to do it. So. <laughs> I was going to say and shout out to his wife as well. You know, it's, it's a team. It's a yeah, team effort. It is very, and they, that's, they do show that it is a team and they both yeah. kind of equally do things. So. 
before we go into an entirely other tangent this episode goes on forever I will end it there um, so thank you Alex for narrating the story for us and to Abby and David for chatting with us and to you for listening all that's left for me to say is until this week of our friends gets together again for another story from the friend to you cheerio Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Reading Between the Lines. Follow on your podcast app today so you don't miss out on our next story and check our previous episodes for more from the Friend Archives. We would be delighted if you were to recommend this podcast to your friends. If you don't already get the People's Friend magazine delivered, because you listen to Reading Between the Lines, you have an exclusive offer to subscribe to get your first 13 issues for just £6. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And for more from The People's Friend, visit thepeoplesfriend.co.uk, subscribe to our newsletter, or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hasty back! There's a dainty little journal that has read both far and near. It has had a host of rivals, still it stands without a peer. It is bright and entertaining from the first page to the end, and is known to its admirers as the dear old people's friend. A charming little journal is the friend. Of good things it is such a happy blend. That to read it at your leisure is a pleasure without measure The friend to friends in trouble recommend They won't be happy till they get the friend <laughs>